Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Mark Dukeman discussing shared code and how far Kotlin Commons can go. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? It's going well. You're based in Chicago, right? That is correct. I just guessed that. No, I didn't. You told me yeah. right now you were based in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we were just speaking before we went on air about uh, Amanda that is also participating in the Kotlin user group in Chicago. Yeah, absolutely. She was on a couple of weeks ago, I think, or a couple of months ago, maybe. Yeah. So who's running that? Is it you or other people? Yeah, I'm the main organizer, and we're starting to, as we get bigger, um, grow the responsibilities out to some other people as well. So um, nice. I think we've got a core group of two or three other people that help out now. So, And what's the average size of meetings? Um, we do well, typically hit about 25, and then if we get like a larger speaker from out of time, town, we'll get closer to 55 or 60 sometimes, but... Um, any given month, you know, we can expect about 25 people. You know, that's, I've always found that funny is because I used to run a user group here as well, right? In many, many years ago. And it was always kind of like when you get someone from out of town, you'd get way more people attending. And it kind of makes you feel like, you know, what's so special about them that, that people inside the town don't have? You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's kind of like, oh, look, a big star is coming. No, it's just someone from out of town. So Yeah, it's it's very interesting, too, because, you know, it'll be like, so we had Thomas Neeld, uh last year, um, and he that was definitely our biggest turnout ever. You know, spoke at uh, Kotlin Conf in San Francisco and pretty big presence, but we've also got some pretty big presences locally as well. So like even, you know, similarly uh, outspoken presences will still draw more from out of town. So, yeah. But I mean, I Chicago know. is also kind of like a big technology hub, right? It's getting more and more that way every day, it seems. But um, yeah, we've got a pretty thriving, thriving, uh, thriving tech hub going on right now. Yeah. We were actually considering one of the cities for uh, Kotlin Comp this year to be Chicago. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but it, awesome. for different reasons, it didn't work out. Uh, so we ended up with Copenhagen, which is, is an amazing city anyway. Yeah, that should be pretty awesome should as well. should be nice. Uh, I didn't tell anyone, but like the, the main reason that I, I love Copenhagen is this: there's this place uh, called Warpigs that uh, has like Texan-style barbecue. Yeah. Along with uh, McKellar and Brewdog beer, like IPAs and, you know, craft beer. Oh, so, yep. so good. Did you know, well, side note there, Chicago actually has a War Pigs as well now. No way. Really? It does. Yeah. West Loop. So they're oh, collaborating wow. with Three Floyds to do the brewing of the beer there. And then I think, I don't know if the bar is in existence yet, but it's coming. So in the U.S., you can buy War Pigs branded beer that's like uh, half McKellar, half Three Floyds. So, just one more reason for next year to come to well, totally. Kotlin Conf in like, Chicago. I mean, you know, that completely changes the, the the picture. Like, someone was saying that oh, Kotlin Conf is going to everywhere where um, um, weed is legal, which wasn't <laughs> true. Uh, yeah. And it's now, but this whole like, let's go anywhere where they have War Pigs is actually I'm on board. yeah. That is that is that that works. I didn't actually know that it's kind of like a, uh, they're branching out. I thought it was just in Copenhagen. So yeah, yeah, cool. So I guess you're a fan of barbecue as well. 
barbecue and beer, both of them, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Anyway, um, talking Kotlin, yes. Uh, Last two shows I was recording, we were talking weather for about 20 minutes. Um, So this time we'll talk barbecue and then we'll get to Kotlin. But anyway, going back to what we were discussing. So you submitted something for a KotlinConf last year, which unfortunately didn't make it. And I was just telling you that it was in the lineup of uh, the final contenders. But as you know... I mean, you run, uh, I don't know, I mean, if you've ever participated in in, in a program committee or run uh, larger scale events, but like you get so many awesome submissions, right? Yep. And you can't have them all. And a lot of times people are like, oh, why can't I ever get accept- accepted? And it's like, it's not a you, it's just limited amount of uh, slots. So, and your proposal was really interesting. Uh, and if you allow me, to kind of describe it to the audience, you know, the title was like, how far can Kotlin Commons go? And you were, the idea was kind of like this idea of the promise of shared code and common code. Can we actually push this? Like how much can we push this? And is it really going to be something that's going to help us? Or is it just, uh, you know, a promise that we won't, ever be able to build on right yep and and in it you were kind of like talking about you know using this to to build uh an application yep so you want to take it along there yeah so um i'm a big fan of coding katas uh so i like to pick a couple of different problems and rewrite them like a million times um my favorite coding kata is the game of life uh, conway's game of life which is like uh, a representation of cellular automata um, i don't know if we want to dive too deeply into the rules but it's it's a fairly simple game where you set a starting state and then um, basically each state drives the next state so you can sort of just start it and let it go um so the actual core logic behind it is um, not terribly difficult to implement, but uh, you know, it's, it's enough that like there's a reasonable amount of testing behind it. And were I to, uh, you know, so in this particular instance, try and build something that we can push out to a number of different platforms effectively and uh, with, with good, good reuse and uh, patterns like, if you were to try and rewrite that co- co- uh, that common logic, like you'd have you know quite a bit of test duplication and other things like that. So, um, so you're saying just just to give context, yeah, in terms of what would be quote unquote the the business logic rules, etc., that would be quite substantial across. If you were to do this you know, across multiple platforms. Sure. Yep, exactly. And um, it's interesting. So, you know, while there is, uh, so this this ultimately was an academic exercise for me. Um, like this is not something that I'm shipping and maintaining as a product and like pushing anywhere. I actually haven't been too deep in this code base in about a year now. But um, so like you say, there would be, you know, quite a bit of duplicated logic in, in the business logic, quote unquote, of the code. Um, but uh, so a friend and myself uh, sat down to write this and and sort of tried to see if we could like push that business logic bit even further into 
the actual uh, rendering of the view and like modeling how this actually represents itself on the screen and like where was the point at which the language sort of wouldn't let us continue to share commonalities across each of these different platform deployments. Yeah. Um, and what platforms were you picking? Like what, pl which platforms are we talking about to give some context? So, um, this, I actually started this library just a, about a month after, uh, showing up in Kotlin Conf San Francisco. Uh, so that was what, 2017, November, 2017, yeah, something like that. Um, so the, the Kotlin multi-platform Gradle plugin had just been released or like the actual, uh, the way that we're closer to the way that we do it now had just come out and um, Kotlin JS and Kotlin JVM were sort of the two uh, readily supported things at the moment. So we picked those two things out of convenience um, and then ultimately decided that we were going to render our views using Canvas on the JV, uh, on JS. So just literally making a Canvas element and then doing things to that. And then Tornado Effects, we also chose to use, um, I don't know what the actual element name was but you know something quite equivalent to a canvas where we could actually control pixels with so, the idea that you would again try and share as much code as possible across these two platforms right exactly exactly and so um both of both myself and the guy who i was writing it with are big test driven development proponents so um we kind of dug in that way and started just writing our small implementation of the game of logic or game of life logic and then sort of growing the code base out from that point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And does uh, native play into the picture here as well? Did you add native later or is it? So I haven't yet. Um, that's definitely a goal. I think there, you know, cutting to the punch of it, like you can share quite a lot of code here. And um, so I, I have not a ton of experience with native, but um, I, I would, there, after sort of seeing where we were able to take this, um, it seems like we should be able to write like a, a pretty small amount of code, presuming that we can get, uh, you know, Gradle to do the compilation in a, in a somewhat uh, straightforward way and, and have like native apps up in pretty much no time. So, so you've taken, it's kind of, you know, when we talk about multi-platform, uh, multi multiple times we talk about multiple platform. I won't yeah. say multiple anymore. Uh, when we talk about it, oftentimes we we discuss how you're trying to share some business logic, you're trying to share some infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but when it comes to the UI, you're basically delegating that off to each individual platform, right? Yep. As yep. opposed to an approach such as, for instance, React, where they try and, uh, or Xamarin, where they try and kind of like create this, um, uh, you know, common UI yep. abstraction. So were you doing this? Were you trying to create this common UI abstraction? So that's that's where we thought we were going to start, actually. Um, we did think that, like, representing this, so, so when you actually talk about the game of life, the game of life continues on ad infinitum. Like, it goes forever in any direction. Um, you can set up a pattern that will just go on as long as you have memory and as long as you allow the code to run. And if we talk about it in more of like the platonic ideal of uh, idealized game of life, like it, it should go on everywhere. Um, 
So, you know, there's this, this business model or business logic, as you say, representation of that sort of platonic ideal of the game of life. But then you actually have to deal with the reality of like, what am I going to put on the screen? So we can obviously track, I mean, we can write the game of life logic in a purely test-driven form and like never actually render it to the screen. Um, or we can actually start to think about how do we visualize this? So like, you know, naively you could do some sort of command line runner where we just display X's for living cells and uh, O's for dead cells or something like that. But, um, you know, typically we do it on the web and make some divs and then we color one, the divs one color for alive cells and a different color for dead cells. So there's sort of this next step up of business logic that um, what we render on the screen still is generic enough to just uh, be handled by some sort of additional common business library. Um, and uh, basically saying like, okay, we, we have, 10, 10 by 10 grid that we can render this on, like how much of this board should I be showing to you? Um, and we actually ultimately found that uh, we could push it even farther. And this is why we ended up choosing um, that the, the canvas implementation and like just a raw sort of pixel map for tornado effects. Um, we actually went even further and took the logic of uh, how many pixels do you have relative to your size of your screen? and like how many different rows of each cell do you want to display? And then we would actually do the math of dividing, figuring out which pixels needed to be color, what color. And so ultimately we were left with just a very, very thin uh, external wrapper that basically told each different uh, particular implementation, how do I paint pixels on the screen? And then also how do I listen for like, a keystroke that tells me to zoom in, stop, you know, play, pause, zoom right, zoom left, whatever. So like genericized out from what we were thinking initially of just sort of having an array of arrays that that the actual platform would then figure out how do I make this into a div or how do I make this into whatever the you know native tornado effects element is or native Android element is to actually just here's a diff of things you need to change pixel colors on and like we'll figure out the rest for you in this common library. Yeah. And this was done on the JS side using React? Uh, literally just a canvas element. We have actually no dependencies other than Tornado effects for this whole project pretty much. Um, like the, the Kotlin DOM implementation has a canvas element that is type safe and manipulable and, and suits our perfect purpose um, quite perfectly, so. Yeah. Now, outside of the business logic and the business logic by that, of course, we mean the, the rules of the game. Yeah. Uh, and outside of this defining essentially what UI actions would need to be taking place and then having those implemented by the different primitive elements. Yep. What else were you sharing? Um, so like, uh, pretty, like truly, truly everything. Um, like, again, I like the, the, the only things when you actually look at the code that binds this whole implementation to the JVM, 
Um, it's it's basically an interface that you have to define. How do I listen to uh, somebody trying to tell me to start and stop? How do I zoom? How do I whatever? So like in in the JVM, there's uh, in the Tornado Effects implementation, we have some sort of specific code around uh, the like Tornado Effects has the content concepts of a shortcut as keys keystrokes that can be used to implement specific functions that are defined on that view model. And then uh, literally there is like a draw function that uh, takes a list of pixels and, and like manipulates how that pixel gets colored on tornado effects. Uh, and then like everything else beyond that, how many different pixels we render, what the colors of the pixels are, that is controlled by common code. So this works well, I guess, for Game of Life, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Now, um, now here is the yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you realistically see this working for a line of business application? You know, uh, that that's a the answer. Like, is is ultimately no. Um, like, we're not going to decide that the appropriate way to write applications from now on is that. Um, you know, we're going to define some sort of common visualization patterns that just turn into pixels on a particular device and then listen to some sorts of input in like a very generic way. Uh, well, I mean, I, uh, sorry to stop you there a second, but yeah, yeah. I mean, when we're talking about pixels, I'm not, we're not talking about the extreme of relying on canvases, right? You're also taking into account here on, you don't want to create a common abstraction layer that then delegates yeah. to UI elements on each Exactly the point. Um, like you, you don't want to do that. I think. I think this actually proves out that you, if you were so dedicated, um, you probably could. Like I think it. It. It lies within the realm of possibilities, and, and you start to get into like having to define your own syntax of like styling and other things that, uh, obviously, many other great smart people have defined much better ways for doing that in each of these different platforms. But like, I think theoretically it is conceivable that you could push that so far, but uh, realistically, no. It is kind of like what React does, no? Um, I think it's like the, the way that, that I would see visualizing this here, uh, like you could make it so that you didn't have, you know, like literally the primitive that, was shared across the different platforms was simply a pixel. Uh, and then everything else could be built up um, from that inside of Kotlin Commons. Again, as like mostly an academic exercise, like you, you, you wouldn't want to replace all that other things. But, um, you know, React does the smarter thing of saying like, you know, we need these div primitive type thing that can exist across different platforms. Like maybe that's the more realistic approach that you know, could ultimately gain some traction. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that, that's where I was trying to clear up, like, where is your uh, primitive building blocks staying at? Is it the pixel or is it UI elements or what is it? Because, I mean, like, solutions with React or solutions with Xamarin, they provide a common UI abstraction layer. Sure. And this is something that generally we have tried to stay away from with Kotlin, right? And, and yep. delegating that to uh, your 
native primitives on each platform. Exactly. And that, that is like part of the, the great promise, I, as I see it, of Kotlin as well. So as, as much as I do like believe that this is something that is very interesting to experiment with and like, you know, this represented uh, like a, a pretty interesting fulfillment of that idea. Um, but with some obviously constraints that don't apply to most other applications and that like it is just literally rendering boxes. Um, but I don't know that that ability to make like uh, expressive interfaces at the Kotlin common level. And then rather than having to rely on React Native to translate that into the different uh, you know, display primitives of each different system, like this implementation that we have through Kotlin, not focusing on that actually, I think is almost not, not almost like it is a, it's a better ability to uh, like apply those uh, principles than, than what React Native does for us right now. I think like, I don't know there, it seems it's, I, I've heard some other episodes that you've talked with this about and like, you know, most people seem like they're going away from that concept of, of, uh, all the way down to the primitive sharing that that code uh, as, as something that's like difficult to maintain, difficult to evolve, difficult to um, react to the demands of the business as it moves forward. So yeah, I mean, generally, I think that that is the approach that the majority of people are accepting, uh, which is kind of what we're talking about with Kotlin, right? But but taking that away, do you feel there is value in the approach that Kotlin is offering, which is up to a certain point, you can share code. No, I, I mean, I actually, so to, to be clear, like um, I, I prefer the approach of Kotlin to that of which React Native has taken to this point. Like I like that, that the, the commonality, the common code that I can share is that much more type safe, that much more expressive, that much less dependent on other people's work. Um, that that feels like it provides me a platform on which I can evolve and iterate my projects in a much more effective way that ultimately meet the demand of the software that I'm writing. Like, you know, it allows you to control the granularity at which you want that. So for this particular project, I was able to dial that granularity all the way down to the pixel level. Um, but for other different things, uh, that that may not be obviously almost never is necessary to control that granularity, and it actually may be better too. So, uh, the next implementation that I want to take of this, even before I go to native, is um, running the actual code, like the actual logic of the game of life on the server, and then just you know shooting a diff of cells that need to change down a web socket to whoever the hell happens to be listening on the other end of that. Uh, WebSocket. So, um, like, I would care much, much less about the pixel in that instance, and much more about just what cells are dying and turning on and turning off and what have you, um, and and implement a lot of the same things there. So, now as a kind of practical guide, uh, and I don't know if if you can kind of share your experience here, but let's say that there is this line, you know where everything that is on the left side is common and everything is on the right side that is common. Yeah. When you start to develop an application, you, 
I'm guessing that you you don't sit down and say, okay, well, let me think about everything that's common on the left and let me think about anything that's not on the right. I mean, you have a general idea of what that's going to be. Sure. Right? Yeah, but, we've got assumptions. Yeah, but do you find yourself in situations where you start to now refactor out specific code and make that code common? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that, that, that was ultimately what drove this particular implementation of Game of Life all the way down to the pixel. Like, we had no idea sitting down that we were going to be able to push that as effectively as we did for the circumstances of this particular problem. Um, so like I, I'm along with Kotlin and along with some of these other patterns, I'm a, I'm a giant believer in sort of a lean product approach and, and uh, using that to sort of guide my development as I go so that I, I don't, make giant assumptions and then do lots of work based on those assumptions that end up being proved wrong. So, you know, through this particular project, like I think this, this certainly exhibited that approach. Well, it became clear as we were testing this out that like, wow, there's, you know, this is a very simple expression of, uh, blocks of color on a UI. Like, why don't we just push the shared logic all the way down? Um, and like, like iterated into that. Um, but by the same token, like, uh, I'm sure that when we set about to implement this so that it, it gets pushed over web sockets to a remote connection to render this thing, like we'll probably end up with a very different outcome than we did when it was running natively in each of the different environments, uh. Yeah. So I, I w I'm just kind of like wondering how different teams would work with that. Like, you know, if you take a single project, your case, and yep. let's say there's two of you doing this exercise and you're like, okay, well, we're sitting next to each other or we're remoting or whatever. And we're like, oh, yeah, well, that we can kind of extract. But now try and scale that out to a team where you've got like, you know, 10 people working on one platform, 15 working on another, and someone starts to work on something that they need. And they're like, oh, okay, well, let me try and, you know, extract that out to common functionality. Yeah. Like, I wonder what the workflow process there is. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, I do. Um, actually, so I I, uh, I work as a consultant and, and I've, I've been on a project like pretty early on in my career where um, we, we didn't have, actually, it was... It, the person who started that project actually pushed for it to be written in Kotlin because we were going to be doing um, an Android app, an iOS app, um, sort of a reactive web dashboard, and then a bunch of backend services. We ended up, uh, I hadn't actually written Kotlin at that point, so I didn't actually also push for that. But in retrospect, it, it would have been nice and helpful. But but we, we did have this giant concept of like we're going to start this project from scratch with a team of about 15 people and try and write for all of these different platforms. And um, ultimately, we, you know, the development process with that many people across that many things on a brand new uh, project was not easy. Um, again, to like cut straight to the, to the punchline there. Um, we, we did try and share some common Java code between our Android code and some of our backend code. And uh, actually that ended up being pretty disastrous. And, you know, months down the expedition of that project, we ended up having to duplicate and drip out uh, just because the, the demands of some of those business objects on the backend and on the front end were, were pretty wildly different. So 
I don't know, like the actual process of developing software being, I think, probably, you know, arguably the most difficult part of it. Um, this this certainly opens the door to uh, ways for the process to go astray that I haven't encountered before. Like if we are trying to do this with sharing some giant amount of logic uh, between an Android, a native, and uh, some backend code. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what are your lessons learned from this? I mean, what would you recommend to people that are going to go down this path of trying to maximize common code? So my, my general rule of thumb uh, is that, you know, duplication is better than bad abstraction. Um, I've, I've learned that hard a couple of times, but... How um, we all? <laughs> yeah. So like in the process of pushing this common code uh, higher and higher up, um, you know, don't be so eager to extract it immediately into that common library, like live with the pain of the duplication, live with the pain of making the changes in multiple places until you are, you know, truly so certain of the validity of the domain model that you've driven out through the application that you know that this uh, abstraction does in fact uh, boil out and, and reduce like a considerable amount of the complexity to developing that app. Because you know, that assumption that it is common early on in a project before you know, a lot of the business functionality and outcomes have been driven out. Like when we find that there is some sort of fundamental difference in the way our uh, iOS application should be interfaced with different than our Android application, like that, you know, becomes much more difficult to make those changes clear uh, in the code base overall. Yeah. So. And of course, it's a given that when you're trying to do this, you're going to want to target at a minimum two platforms, right? Sure. Because trying to obviously. extract, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, you say, you know, obviously, obviously. but no, it's, no, not it's not always not, that guess, obvious, right. is it? Um, but the question was, do you think that more than two is also important? Like, is it important to try and get at least three? Because often what you do find, uh, you know, whether it's abstracting common code, whether it's trying to create a, a plug a platform that supports uh, plugins, etc., or whatever, yeah, you end up in this situation where you're actually accommodating to two scenarios, really, and you're like, okay, you know, you're like, oh, it's not one, it's two, therefore, it's green lights. Like everything I'm doing is gonna work for two plus. N. Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? I, I do. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure that I buy that argument as much. Um, you know, left, left to my own devices, like I will probably push towards some sort of full functionality in one platform before I ever even start on the second platform, because that, that can often be a much more effective means to validating the assumptions that I have about the thing that I'm building. So maybe I will just build it in uh, the, in some sort of progressive web application form initially that, that if it happens to work well on an Android or a mobile, on an iOS device, that's great. Um, but like, let me drive out those ideas, validate those hypotheses. And then at, at the point that I'm starting to have a much more concrete understanding of the domain model of the application that I'm building, um, then perhaps I'll now expand into that second platform. And then maybe that third platform, um, 
I, I don't think that you need to know that there are exactly three things uh, or yeah, two, sure. I mean, two plus, yeah, you know, two plus, like yeah. um, I think that, that that exercise of going from one to two will drive as much learning as going from two to three and to try and like push for that up front. Like most often in my experience, I've ended up doing more work than I ought to have done. Um, letting it drive itself out, letting that complexity surface itself over time has been, in my experience, the much more effective uh, way to get to a good product more quickly. And you said that you're going to start to now do this, talking about three platforms. You're going to work on the native side now for this? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, so this is, this is presently set up with a much older version of how Gradle multi-platform was intended to be used, like, you know, fresh out of the announcement that Andre made at, at uh, Kotlin Conf. Um, so like, I think I'm, I'm probably going to go at this from scratch again um, and, and build within the constraints of that, those new changes. Um, but yeah, uh, like native would be, I, I actually haven't done a ton of experimentation with the LLVM and the native compilation yet. So, um, I think that's probably right up front with where this project will go. Is the project open source? Is it on GitHub or anywhere? It is. It's on my GitHub profile right now on the front page. So okay, um, we'll make sure to add the add that to the show notes because I think it might be an interesting exercise for others to to look at or maybe even participate in. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I welcome any feedback that anyone does have. So um, I'm curious to see where where this can be improved even further. So cool. Well, great. Well, I yeah. do hope that uh, you make progress with Native and maybe even uh, submit for KotlinConf this year. Yeah, I think um, I, I probably will. So yeah, it'll be it'll definitely be interesting because I think it's also interesting from the aspect of, you know, here is why I wouldn't go for a common UI abstraction, etc. Down right? down like, to the pixel level, for example. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or when you may, like, actually, I do think that... Um, for some video game type development style things, like it, it may not be the worst thing in the world to do. So, yeah, you know, yeah, cool. Well, it was great having you on the show. Thanks for coming yeah. on, and uh, hopefully we'll meet in person at some point. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah.